Hello, friends, and welcome to the Activity Continues podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Megan. And I'm Amy. We discuss episode of episodes of the TV channels. Okay. We dis- <laughs> We're two sentences in, Amy. It's okay. We discuss episodes of the Travel Channel's TV show, The Dead Files. This week, we're mixing it up a little bit. Megan will recap for you The Axe Murder House, which is Season 3, Episode 5 on Discovery, but Season 3, Episode 4 on Hulu, and it's off because Discovery Plus has a Q&A special at the beginning of that season, so it shuts everything down on it originally aired on November 29th, 2013. And Amy will be doing some color commentary because she's done some research on the crime, watched some TV shows, listened to some podcasts, basically has done every, found every media you can, <laughs> exercised it, and she will add some of her own extras. Yep. So stick around to the end, too, because we have a special surprise for you. A friend of the show, Heather, who's also a patron, sent us a paranormal story to share with you. Okay, well, that's news to me, because if Amy told me about it, I forgot. So I'm just hearing about it for the first time mentally. She probably told me like four times in our text. Well, maybe not. But I mean, I didn't mean to keep it a secret, but, (laughs) you know, sometimes things get away from me. But I am doing this episode because our other patron, one of our other patrons, Amy, had told me we should cover this episode, the Axe oh. Murder House. And so that's why I picked it because Amy was like, you should totes do it. I mean, I'm paraphrasing because I don't think I've ever heard Amy say the word totes in my life. No, <laughs> but that's why I picked this one. So shout out to Amy for suggesting it because this was, you guys, this a doozy. This has a big content warning here. We've oh, got yeah. brutal death, child murder. So just a really quick content warning. If you are not okay with those things, totally understand. Yep. But then just don't listen to this one because six yeah. kids get killed. Yeah. I mean, oh. we're going to try. I, I, I don't have in mind. I mean, I had a lot of gruesome stuff, but I, I don't have to say it. I can cut it. But. We know we can gloss over some of it without being too terribly gruesome, although there's one kind of gruesome thing I want to point out. But yeah, so it's funny that Amy, patron, Mm -hmm. suggested Mm -hmm. this and Heather, patron, told me, I got to send you my paranormal story sometime. And I was like, oh, that'd be great. She goes, it's about the Velisca Axe Murder House. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Okay, now it's ringing some bells. Yep, I'm like, can I you remember. send it by Sunday? Yes. <laughs> and she, so she whipped it together and she sent us something with a whole bunch of pictures. And oh my God. I shared Heather. with her. I know, she's awesome. I shared with you the drive where I put all the pictures. So uh-huh. the okay. Google Drive, you should be able to go there and look at the pictures once we get to that part. But that'll be okay. at the end. And uh, and then I'm going to post all those pictures on our blog and probably mm-hmm. on Patreon too. I don't think I can post. There's so many. I can't post them all like on Instagram unless I do like 10 different posts. Yeah, but, that's kind of a lot. Yeah, but I think I'll just put them on the blog and everybody who's interested can go over there and see. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah. Okay, so some things we wanted to talk about today. Um, Let's give them something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, first of all, need yeah. to open my beverage. What are you having? What do you think I'm having? Do you have any Rebel? I have one left. Oh. My last one. I am having this, the cafe agave. agave that 
Either you or Amy left at the house. When um, is it hour. the rum chat, the cinnamon yeah, one? Yeah, it's a cinnamon one. That's okay, me. okay. Amy did, I think, just the espresso. She bought the regular one? Yeah. Okay. So I'm having the rum chata one. <laughs> just, that's not that's the what I call, No, that's, well, that's what called. I call it. It's yeah. called vanilla cinnamon. It tastes like rum chata. Yeah. It, I, I like this one. Yeah, I, I didn't. So yay for you. Hmm. And then I have a backup white claw. Basically, Amy is my friend now because I buy alcohol I don't like and then bring it to her. <laughs> That's the only reason. That's it, right there. That's it. <laughs> nine years of friendship. Well, no, not nine, probably seven years of friendship. When did I think I started at did... SIG in 2015? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, it was funny. Amy and I went out for not not you, Amy, patron Amy, uh-huh. and I went out for a beer on. Um, Friday, we went to Bent Brewstillery here in oh, St. Paul. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. I like it there. And we were talking and she was like, ta- I was like, did you have fun with Amy and Greg? And she was like, yeah, I felt like I was outstaying my welcome. And I, they don't believe <laughs> no, in that. I told her there's no such thing <laughs> as that. She's like, I just, sometimes I overstay my welcome. And I'm like, they don't know what that means. No, uh-uh. I'm like, you could stay the night there. And yeah. they'd be like, okay, what do you want for breakfast? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. So I that's how we, like, that's our jam. That's how we work. So mm-hmm. yeah, she texted me later and she's like, I had a really good time. I just hope I didn't overstay my welcome. I'm like, it's not possible. It's that's fine. what I told her. We had a great time. I was like, I, when I got there, I told Amy, I might be sleeping on your couch. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's just the way it is at Amy and Greg's. Yep. I mean, when you have so, a bar in your basement, that's kind of what, that's kind of one of the rules. <laughs> you just have to course. let people stay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, so she had a really good time in that. Good. She's like, we need to do that more. I'm like, obviously, obviously. we need to do that every yeah. single week. That'd be fine. So Dom from Shit and Bricks talked about us on their latest episode, episode yes. 23. <laughs> Guys, when I say that was a high that carried me through the, the week, I got butterfly. I got yeah. goosebumps. Yeah. And he was so cute because he was talking about they're from North America. Canada or Minnesota. And I'm like, Dom, they're, they're basically the same thing. They're basically the same yes. thing. Yeah. I love them so much. Yeah. They're great. They're yeah. super great. I know. I, guys, I listened to it early yes. in the morning. I was laying in bed. I know. I, was like, I know. You texted me and I listened to it. And I was like, <laughs> so if you haven't checked out Shit and Bricks, you have to go mm-hmm. listen because they remind uh, me a lot of Amy and me. Yeah. They're just, they've got really fun banter. Kate. She is a hoot and holler. I she tell is. you what, she know. is so funny. Yep. Oh, I love them both. I, yeah. Yeah, I love them both. And they they were talking about, t- you know, us taking them out for a drink. And I'm like, yeah, I will fly to Australia to take you guys out. Oh, can you imagine how much fun? We'd have to bring the cream wine. The grape wine, you mean? Yeah. Grape yeah. wine with cream? Grape, grape cream wine. Yeah. I, oh, but, oh, you know what? How do they deal with the spiders? Like, that's. That's well, they have a, know. they have a lot of bugs and animals I that I don't want to be anywhere near. I'm mostly concerned with the spiders. Oh, it's my yeah. biggest fear. Yeah. yeah. So, Dom and Kate, if you listen, how do you deal with the spiders? Yes, we'd like to know. Please. So, yeah, thank you so much to Dom for doing that. And if you guys haven't, please go check out Shit and Bricks because yeah. they are hysterical. Super fun. I love them. Yep. Yep. They're part of my weekly routine now. So. Yeah. Yeah. They're awesome. Okay. So speaking of Dom, he started a podcast network sort of. 
mm-hmm. for us to, you know how we're trading promos with them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he started something through Instagram with other like-minded podcasts. What? So we can all kind of share each other's promos and stuff and help support each other. Yeah. And he invited us to be part of it. And I just thought that was so great. It's so it nice to have people around you who are doing the same thing as you mm-hmm. and who are supportive as opposed mm-hmm. to being rival. Competitive. Yeah. And it's so nice. Like there's enough room in the pool for all of us, you guys. Exactly. Like, there's plenty of people who listen to the, our exact same kind of podcast, but might love Dom and Kate and not yeah. like us. Or, yeah. You know, it's so there's it wouldn't be vice versa because I can't imagine no. <laughs> anybody not liking Dom and Kate. Right. But um, yeah. But yeah, it's there's there's really no reason to just not support each other. And right. so I think it's so great right. that we're doing that. Yes. And then it's, there's just welcoming. Yes. 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 So refreshing. And then I also joined another podcast networking group called Uncanny Valley. And they have a Discord, mm-hmm. you know, on Discord. And so oh, it's a, like that. Oh, it's a it's a platform where people can talk. It's mostly meant for gamers. So people can like mm. chat and see each other and talk and play games together. Well, not to brag, but I'm a hardcore Sims gamer. So well, I'm sure there is a place for you on Discord. There's yes. If anybody plays Sims, we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I used to, but I only played it. I know. Yeah. I tried to I played it on my computer, but all my Sims were too stupid and they kept burning the house down or shitting their pants. <laughs> And so you have uh, to tell them to go to the bathroom. I know, I know. And I, I do, but then they have to go, they have to get to work because they're late because they wouldn't fucking get up when I told them to get up. Well, yeah, you have to plan ahead. Like uh, it's rough. You got to, but once you figure it out, it's like I went, okay. When I first got Sims, I think I started on Sims three and I literally would wake up, play Sims until I had to go to work, go to work. (laughs) come home and play sims until like midnight oh my god i mean it was like 10 hours easily i'd sit there play sims wow yeah wow i had a problem i get and then you would get all the points and you would do like your fertility treatment so then you'd woohoo and have twins and triplets and oh my gosh yeah, it yeah was I, didn't, I didn't get that advantage one of my sims i named justin case <laughs> <laughs> nice Justin, first name, last name, case. God, right. I'm so funny. Right. You are. Just, so clever. I know. It's the tip of the iceberg. So, I, so anyway, <laughs> uh, that's what Discord, I think, was made for is sort yeah. of that. So, so this network is just a bunch of podcasters that are similar to us that are just sharing, like mostly just chit-chatting right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we'll be sharing ideas and, and mm-hmm. maybe sharing promos and things like that. Nice. So, yes. Yeah, that's so fun. So what the other things I wanted to mention is, oh, we should talk a little about the finale, the Dead Files yes, finale. We should. I don't know if I want to give away anything, but no, but it was, that was good. It was good. I, I really enjoyed it. I felt so bad for Amy mm-hmm. because I bet she was just drained. Yeah. Because it seemed like it was the she same She didn't spirit. seem like it though. She, she's a trooper, man. Yeah. It seems like it was the same spirits throughout the town. Mm-hmm. There was a lot surrounding the Orpheum and the crystal. Oh, the crystal when, store. When the girl showed Steve the picture of the journals on the floor, I got goosebumps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you imagine? 
Oh, oh, and then they had a video in one of the businesses. I think it was like a restaurant bar of one of the bottles falling off the top shelf. Yeah, the top shelf, and like, it didn't just fall; it like it flew. flew. Yeah. yeah, like and it didn't like slowly. It, it was, was like it was pushed from behind. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it, you guys, it was top shelf. Like, there's no way somebody walked by and bumped it, and nobody right. was walking by anyway. No, but. Yeah, yeah, that it was, was trippy, freaky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sure wasn't was. good, and I liked how they did the reveal at the end too. That yes, was really good. in the auditorium, and everybody yep. got to come up and talk to her. And I liked how they took into account, like they talked about altitude sickness, and yes. how some of these things could have been altitude sickness for the you tourists. Know, yeah, yeah, people that live there, not necessarily, but so they did tests where they mm-hmm. they. It was really cool. They did a lot of extra stuff that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. And I didn't realize altitude sickness could do that. Yeah. I didn't either. They were like hallucinating. They were losing like their coordination. Mm -hmm. And they, one of the tests they did was they had a group of like five or six bodies and like two or three of them were mannequins and the rest were humans. Mm -hmm. And at 20, one of them was 22,000 feet, which Flagstaff, they said, was around 7,000 okay, feet above sea level. Mm-hmm. But around 22,000, they couldn't differentiate between the humans and the mannequins. It's so weird. Every single person got it wrong. That was so trippy to I me. I know. Yeah. And like they didn't, it's not like the mannequins had the same skin color. Like they were black mannequins wearing, they all were wearing the black hoodies. hooded sweatshirts. Yep. And the the people, their face, you know, they were humans, mm-hmm. but it, that was so trippy to me. Yeah, yeah I had yeah. no idea that altitude sickness could do that to you. Yeah, I, I didn't. It just gave you headaches and made you mm-hmm. nauseous. Yep, I did too. Yeah, mm-hmm. so if we ever, Colorado has, well, it's pretty high altitude in Colorado, isn't it? I know, I would love to go to Colorado. I would and too. everybody knows why, so I could go to Colorado Springs. Meet Lieutenant Joe Kenda and become <gasps> best friends. Oh, yes. That's the dream, isn't it? Yes. John and I were going to go there for a honeymoon, but, you know, we oh. never did. Then I got knocked up in COVID. I mean, in fairness, it was a planned pregnancy, but right. still. Right. Interfered <laughs> with Joe Kenda. Oh, my God. Thanks, baby. Okay. What yeah. else do we have to do? Uh, oh, we have new reviews. Yeah. So, thank you so much, Amy and Heather, for the new reviews, you guys. They did it, it. They were so in depth, and it wasn't just like great podcast, which yeah. we will take. We'll absolutely uh, take that. They were so in depth with their yeah. reviews. So thank you so much, yeah, for taking those few minutes to do that. It really, really brightens our day. Yep. It make it like makes our whole day. Yep, it certainly so does. Thank you for yep. for doing that. We really appreciate it. Well, anyway, I wanted to let everybody know that I just finished the video episode for episode 12 the last mm-hmm. one it's not just a video like i've been doing which is just an audio with a logo on it it's our zoom so it's i had it took me a few days to edit it and then i i put that up today for patrons mm-hmm. And I'll probably make it live for public in a few days, maybe even by the time this is out. But mm-hmm. I wanted the patrons to have something because I know I probably is, I'm not going to get this episode out to them early this time mm-hmm. because we're recording we're on late. a Monday. 
Yeah, yeah we record on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And then we, I, and you know, what's funny is that the reason we decided to do it this way or the reason I wanted to do it this way is that I didn't feel like I had time mm-hmm. to watch an episode of The Dead Files and to write a recap for it. So I said, oh, I'll just talk about the murder, mm-hmm. the ex-murder. Mm-hmm. Well, five podcasts, four TV shows, <laughs> and a movie later. Yeah, it was too much. It was it was a yeah. lot. So, And I just procrastinated, so. <laughs> and then we were supposed to record last night, and we were both like, I don't think I'm doing it. I know. I, was like, <laughs> I had no motivation. I don't even know if I showered yesterday. I'm going to be completely <laughs> honest with you. I didn't. There's, there's a there's a strong chance you know what i did because i hadn't showered since friday so oh, okay yeah tmi everybody i did not um, i uh i rolled out of bed and i went i hate myself <laughs> and amy had a little too much fun saturday my saturday night. was a little too much fun yeah <laughs> I, could say that. <laughs> I was uh, i was non-functional yesterday. was it greg the bartender partly yeah oh greg. yeah gregory yeah partly I mean, um, I didn't have to ask him to make me another drink, so it's my fault. Quick, quick sidebar. The, yeah. Of course, the governor is garbage. She's a governor. Oh, what is it? Alabama. Alabama. Of course she is. Yeah. So I, I had put this in the notes that Kay Ivey, the burping governor that we talked about last week, she's, she's not great. So she recently signed two bills that are related to transgender issues and one of them is to outlaw transgender youth's access to gender affirming medications. It makes it a felony to prescribe puberty blockers or hormones to trans youths under 19, 19, 18. They're adults. So if you're you enjoying the army, you can't, yeah, you can fight for the country, but you can't get the medications. Why? Who cares what they're doing? If that's what they want to do, if that's how they identify, literally does has no bearing Nothing on anybody to do else. With you. Yep. So and even be here's a quote from her. I believe very strongly that if the good Lord made you a okay. boy, you're a boy. And if he made you a girl, you're a girl. So do we just are we just forgetting separation of church and state then? Yeah. I mean, is that apparently. just out the window? Yeah, apparently yeah, so. Sure. You could just okay. bring up God or Jesus whenever you want to. In when you're talking about laws. Who yeah. Cares. We're in the handmaid's tale, I'm telling you. We're almost there. Let people be who they are. Yep. I agree. It has no bearing on your life. Right. A youth using a female bathroom, mm-hmm. nothing to do with you. Yep. And for the people who are like, they're gonna be turned on or they're gonna molest our kids. No, they're not. No, they're not. Oh, people, yeah. I just it's no, I'm angry. It's maddening. Oh, people are the worst. You want to get started? Yep. Okay. So this one, you guys, this was rough. It wasn't rough because of the stuff happening. But the history for me was really, this was a brutal, mm-hmm. brutal murder. And did and you Amy, know much about this before you watched it? No. I didn't mm-hmm. either. 
I knew of it. I knew that yeah, whole family knew, yeah. was ex-murdered, but that's I didn't know the details. About, and I didn't know it was solved, but that's about it. But you guys, the reveal, Amy met one of the killers. Yep. She saw... Oh, okay. We're getting ahead of ourselves. All right. So <laughs> Steve gives a brief history of the murders when we start. And essentially what happened... Is it okay if I talk about this? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it was the Moore family. So it was... Let me... Joe, was it Jeff and Sarah? Joe, Joe, Josiah. Josiah and Sarah Moore, who was his wife, they had four kids. And then two girls were visiting that night, the Stillinger girls, Ina, Ina, and Lena. Ina and Lena were visiting. And they were all murdered with an axe. However, the only person who was killed with the blade of the axe was Sarah. Everybody else. Actually? Oh. I think the guy in the episode was wrong. Really? Because every other thing I read or saw Mm -hmm. or listened to said that it was Josiah that got the blade end of the axe. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, there's one person in the murders (laughs) who got hit, killed with the blade of the axe. Everybody else had the back of it. So, yeah, it was it was it was not great. It was not great. So then we're meeting with John and John gives tours in the the Villisca Axe murder house. And then he lives next door. And next door was the home of Mary. Oh, my God. I wrote her name. It's Pickham. Pickham. Yeah. Mary Pickham. So she's the one who discovered the bodies and he lives in her house. So he. I'm not going to say too much, but he drove me bananas. I've got some stuff about him, too. He became obsessed with this case because he wanted to try and solve it. He he basically felt like he was called to the house to try to solve these murders. And he called Steve and Amy in because he thinks that something from the house has followed him home. So when he goes home, he hears doors opening and closing. He feels back aches, neck aches, rattling, scratching noises. And really what happened was he was experiencing these things first at the the axe murder house, and then they came home and he started experiencing this. Not only he is, but also his wife and his children are experiencing it. And so everybody's scared and, you know, he just wants his home to be safe, which understandable, but anyways. So then we're in the axe murder house. And we're in the guest bedroom. And this is where Ina and Lena were found. Those were the two uh, girls who were overnight guests. So John says in this room, he has lots of nausea. Your neck will hurt. Your back will hurt. And then as soon as you walk outside, it's instantly gone. And then he's heard a lot of growling in this room. He says it's not an animal sound. And he said he'll hear a growl, a gasp, and a moan all in that order. Mm-hmm. And he said the growl doesn't sound human, but the gasp at the moan sounded feminine. Then Steve pointed out, well, do you think that you you think it's feminine because you know the two people in this room were feminine, like we're girls, mm-hmm. which I think might have been. I think he might be swayed a little bit by it. Sure. Not saying that that it's not happening, but I think even if it's subconsciously or unconsciously, he could be swayed by this because sure. it's such a predominant case. Well, it's the same reason that they have to cover up everything exactly. for when Amy goes through. It's unconscious bias. Yeah. You don't want that to, have yeah. to happen. 
So he, so like I said, he lives in the house of the woman who found the bodies. He'll hear voices saying his name. He said one day he was home, his kids had gone to school, and his wife had left for work, and he heard his wife's voice saying, John. He looked around and looked out the window, and he saw his wife's car driving away. And so, oof. Was not her? Nope. So here is where John kind of started to irk me the wrong way. He was kind of giving me some Zach Baggins vibes here. So she said he had latched the door shut, latched it shut. He, then he said out loud, if there's and if anyone's here, he, Mary Peckham, if you're here, open this door now. And then it slammed open and nobody else was home. So you're, you're, you're talking to the ghosts, you're asking them to do things, and then you're getting freaked out when they listen to you. Hmm. Don't do that, you guys. Like, mm-hmm. You have to respect them. These people, we'll get into it. Anyways, so then he, after that, he padlocked the door shut to prevent it from opening, even though he's the one that asked it to open. So (laughs) he also had some friends over. They stayed the night in that room. He said one friend had come down the next morning and said he'd woken up with a distorted woman's face above his and was terrified. And he said he won't sleep in there again, which I don't blame him again. She said he said that his daughter has seen this woman as well, and she's talked about Hattie, who's a woman upstairs. And he calls her Hattie, and and he said, "How do you talk about you know that a ghost to a four year old?" Which fair point, like mm-hmm. you know you don't want to scare them. Yeah. And then John Steve said, "What if Amy says you need to move?" And John said, "It's not that easy." Which bullshit. I mean, I get that it's not that easy, but he doesn't want to move because he feels called. This to is the house. This is not a case of this guy who bought this house, put out his whole life savings into it, mm-hmm. and doesn't can't afford to move. Mm-hmm. That's not what's going on. That's here. not what that's. This is a case of a man who, despite everything, no matter what Amy says, is going to stay there because he's called. Then we've got Martha Lynn, who's the owner. So she bought the house in 1994 with her husband, Darwin, which, by the way, love that name. Mm -hmm. I just, that made me so happy. So she bought the house because of the historical value it had, which I get it. Like, that's, it's a big deal. Like, that's a huge case. Big. That's got to be the majority of the history for this town. Yeah. The Villisca, Iowa. Steve asks if she thinks. The paranormal groups are stirring up things regarding the activity. And and she said the paranormal groups claim that the activity started when she and Darwin restored the home to what it originally looked like, which that could happen, you guys. Yeah. And you know what they did? They mm-hmm. took out the electricity. Oh. They took out the electricity and they remade, they restored the house so that like, it looked exactly like it did uh-huh. before. They put the beds where they were. They put, you know, they redid everything to look exactly oh, like it was. So they're basically in inviting these people to haunt them. Yep. And so Steve asks her, like, are you worried about the guests and the staff and what's happening? She said, no, <laughs> no, I'm not. I thought that was funny, too. Yeah. I was <laughs> so like, no. no. Okay, Martha. No. Sure. And again, Steve asks her, what if Amy said, you know, you should stop doing the tours? She said, I'll listen to what you have to say. I'll take it to heart, but I will not discontinue what I'm doing. Okay, great. So just totally disregarding 
Amy's advice and what the dead. Yeah. Well, to be fair, she's not the one that called them. To be fair, yeah. <laughs> it was Johnny who called them. <laughs> it was, but she also but she put putting, and she put the the rooms back to, I mean, yeah. traumatic event. Yeah. So then we talked to Christy. She's another tour guide. And they're upstairs, and I think it's the guest bedroom. And she is really upset. She's really on edge. You can just see yep. she is uncomfortable. Yeah. And Steve is like, "You don't, you don't look like you want to be here." She said, "No, I don't like being upstairs." She said she's had many experiences upstairs. She said she was doing a tour and she heard footsteps coming up the stairs behind her. She was the last person up the stairs. Nobody else behind her. She didn't handle it well. She <laughs> ran into the next room screaming. <laughs> and one of the guests on the tour followed her in and said he'd heard the footsteps too. To be fair, though, I probably would have reacted close to the same way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just picture her. I'm sure this is not what happened, but just like <laughs> hands in the air, like running like a cartoon. Yeah. That's probably not what happened. But that's probably not fair. exactly. She's had her hair ruffled. And she said she's been touched inappropriately and did not elaborate on what that was. So whatever it is, not great. And she does think whatever's in the house is dangerous, which, again, I know we've talked about this in the past, just because, you know, if you're afraid, you're going to think it's dangerous doesn't mean it is. But if you're, you know, it's all that, you know, thing. So then we meet with Dr. Edgar Epperly. And he is the Velisca murder historian. So talking about, you know, the victims. So we have Josiah and Sarah Moore. And like I said, they're four kids and the two girls. So the night of the murders, they all went to a church service where there was a visiting reverend, um, George Kelly, who is actually one of the suspects. There's a rumor that one of the kids thought they saw someone in the bushes on the way home. But I don't know how they would have picked that rumor up. Because they were murdered that night and who would they have heard that from? So I don't put a lot of stock in that. Yeah. So come the next morning, we're in Mary Peckham's house and, and she noticed there wasn't any activity. So she shouted, knocking on the door. She got no response. So... So Mary Peckham called Josiah's brother and they went into the house to kind of, you know, figure out what's going on. They saw two figures on the bed in the back wall, and there was blood on the wall. The killer had taken a woman's black skirt out of the dresser and had draped it over the mirror. The axe was leaning against the south wall, and it had blood and hair on it. So here is where they say Mrs. Moore was the only one who was struck with the blade of the axe. Mm -hmm. Everyone else was killed with the back of it. But you're saying it was Josiah. Yeah. Everything else I saw said that it was Josiah that got the the blade end. Mm-hmm. And this is where it gets gross. So fast forward five seconds if you don't want to hear this. <laughs> he was so damaged that his eyes were missing. They said that about everybody. In oh, the really? Show. They said that everybody was so disfigured that it was hard to identify any of them. Yeah. Here's one thing that's very interesting to me that I had not known. He said that the faces had all been covered with pieces of clothing and the covers pulled over them. So that to me says that this person knew the family and were either remorseful or they didn't want to look at what they had done. 
So that was very key and that was very interesting to me. And so that made me kind of question, you know, why George Kelly was one of the four suspects and the only one tried. He was visiting. Yeah, he, he didn't know that. This city. He didn't know them. And so that to me was interesting. Next to the body, and this gets really gross, you guys, was a four pound slab of bacon just on the ground. First of all, that's a lot of fucking bacon. That is a lot of fucking bacon. Bastards. And that's a waste of good food. You're telling me. And the theory, one of the theory, and this is so gross, I can't even believe I have to say this, was that the killer had rolled it into a tube and used it to sexually gratify himself. Yep. I'd also heard there was a dish towel nearby too, like with the bacon. Okay. I mean, we do not want bacon anymore. That, no, it doesn't do that for me. (laughs) Not going to (laughs) lie. I mean, that's going a little far. Yeah, that's, Amy, let's rein it in a bit. Rein it in. Oh, hi there. This is Kate. And I'm Dominic. And we are your hosts of Shitting Bricks, the podcast. Every week, we'll bring you an episode of What Makes People Shit Bricks. Is it a fear of death? Deep water? Running out of wine? Cannibalism? We take a warped look at these topics using examples from history that are the epitome of some scary shit. You can find us on all the regular podcast streaming services like Apple, Spotify, and Google for exclusive content, including behind the scenes nuggets, links to weekly topics, and maybe even merch in the future. Head to Shitting Bricks Podcast on Instagram and YouTube. But for now, drop your dax, pop a squat, and let's get into it. Are you interested in stories of ghosts, poltergeists, and the paranormal? Do you love an amazing tale of an unsolved mystery, a strange disappearance? How about a UFO encounter, or even a first-hand sighting of a creature that should only exist in your nightmares? Why not join us over at the Haunted UK podcast, where every two weeks we delve deep into the tales of the strange and unusual, the unsolved and the downright weird. The Haunted UK podcast is available on all major platforms, as well as being on Instagram and Coffee. So why not give us a follow and get involved with the show? Thanks for listening, and we really hope that you'll join us for our next episode. And on that note, it's back to the show. So what's... Okay, so let's stop there, because that's all I talk I have for the... For the murder part. Yeah. So what do you, what did you, so what do I have? I have, okay. So I I don't know. I don't know. Tell me. You tell me. Um, Okay. So I have Mary Peckham noticed her neighbors were quiet. Usually they're up doing chores and shit. She went over there, let their chickens out and knocked on the door. No answer. So she called Josiah's brother, Ross. That was nice of her to let the chickens out. I know. They need to eat. That's right. And so then Ross had a key mm. and that is sort of key, if you will, because See what you did there, <laughs> because does it unlock some questions? <laughs> Not really. It's just, it's just interesting because the doors were locked. So whoever was in the house got out <gasps> somehow without 
obviously they left going out Jesus the front door. Christ. Yeah. Or they had a car. Or they I mean, locked it. Or they locked it. it. I wonder what kind of lock it was. Like, was it just the handle, you know, the know. twerney lock, or was it a bolt? I have no idea. Because that would be interesting. Yeah. My guess is whoever was in the house when the murders happened who wasn't dead left out a window. But I don't know. Anyway, he opened the door and he found the two visiting sisters dead in the guest bedroom because the guest bedroom was on the main floor and all the other bedrooms were upstairs. Okay. So he didn't go any further. He backed out, went to the porch where Mary was waiting. Mary never went into the house. Good. And then she called the city marshal. Mm-hmm. So I have a fun fact. The Stillinger girls' parents were also named Joe and Sarah. Really? Josiah was called yeah. Joe sometimes. Yeah. Yep. yeah, they were also called Joe and Sarah. Joe and Sarah. Also, the papers originally reported that the missing or the visiting girls were Blanche, who's 18, and Edith, who's 20. Spillinger. So they spelled their name wrong. And they got got their ages wrong. Got the, I don't names. even know if Blanche and Edith are real people. I assume they are. So as soon as the police were called, do you have anything about this? Or should I keep um, going about the crime scene? I have. So we talked to County Sheriff Sampson, and he did say that the crime scene was just destroyed. Yeah. He said people went through it, you know, super tainted. But I mean, it was 1912. Yeah. They didn't know about DNA and evidence. Well, there wasn't. They couldn't have done anything about that anyway. They did. I think they did have fingerprints, though. But yeah, as soon as the police were called, people started showing up at the house. Mm-hmm. And I put in my notes, it went from zero to fucked up, like you said yeah. last week. Half the town came into the house and were yep. looking looing all over the place. Peeking Why at the would dead you bodies. Want to do that while the bodies were still there. Peeking Jesus at the bodies. Christ. And nothing stopped until the national guard was called. I would never. I wouldn't want to do that. I would not want to see dead people, let alone you know, dead I children. can't even watch it on TV. No. That no. that movie. Have you seen that documentary called "There's Something About Aunt Diane"? No, I won't watch oh. that one. Is that the? Oh, that's the one where she is driving the car and she has like a stroke or something. Mm-mm. So a lot of different uh, theories about what happened to her. But yeah, they actually show her dead body. Like the cops are there and they're looking around the car and all of a sudden they show her laying on the ground. And I'm like, what? Oh, my God. You didn't tell me. Well, I they do that in a it. lot of mafia documentaries, too. I've noticed they'll show like the the people who are like yeah. killed. They'll show them. And it's but like, sometimes what? their like face anyway is covered up. This was she was like, like. It was all out there and it, it traumatized me for a little yeah. bit. I was not no. expecting to see that anyway. So, and this is another gross part. Skip forward five seconds if you don't want to hear this. Mm-hmm. But while the people were rummaging around in the house, some people, so at least one person took a piece of Josiah's skull. At the- <gasps> yep. No wonder this house is haunted. I know. They were so disrespected. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not only did they have to be brutally murdered, but their their death turned into a farce. Yeah. Just, they should haunt everybody that was yeah. involved in that. That's right. terrible. Yeah. And without getting too graphic, oops, too late. Everything I heard that said that Josiah got the worst of it, he was the one who had the blade and, and that 
And I think that makes more sense when I, for what my theory is. Oh, of, okay. Of who did it. Because it makes sense for Sarah getting it because one of the suspects, I think it was F.F. Jones, was rumored. It was either F.F. Jones or William Mason. I can't remember which one was rumored to be having an affair with Sarah. Oh, okay. So if she's the one that got the axe, it would make sense because maybe she had cut it off and whoever did this was pissed at her. So... I don't remember that theory, but we'll get back to theories. But yeah. you go ahead. Continue. So then we're still talking to Sheriff Sampson. I wonder if his wife's name is Delilah. I don't cut his hair. So then we've got the four suspects. Like I said, we've got George Kelly, F.F. Jones. And I, they talked about history, who these people were. And I didn't write it down. I'm super sorry. No, I um, I, I can tell you all about that. Perfect. <laughs> the only I don't know if it's going to be the same thing that was in the show. I don't know. The only one I remember was Henry Lee Moore. And the reason I remember Henry Lee Moore is because he had also committed a murder. He had killed his mother. How? How did he kill her, you might ask? Well, Mm. he killed her with an axe. Yep. So, yeah, the reason they arrested George Kelly, and he's actually the one who was charged for the murders was someone had said they had overheard George Kelly the next morning at 5.30 on a train talking about the murders, Mm -hmm. which wouldn't be abnormal, except the bodies hadn't been discovered yet. They weren't discovered until like 7 or 7.30. So how would he have known Mm -hmm. unless he didn't? So he was arrested and charged, had two trials, but was acquitted both times. Mm -hmm. And I get into that in a little bit, but. Okay. What else do you have? So I have that. Okay. So the four, the four people that they talked about in the show yep. were Reverend Kelly. Yep. F.F. Jones. Yep. William Mansfield. Yep. And Henry Lee Moore. Yep. So I'll start with Henry Lee Moore. He was the serial killer. Yep. He was cleared because he was believed to be in another state at that time. And also he really had no skin in the game. He did not. Even know the Moors. Which, to be fair, a lot of serial killers don't know the victims. Sure, sure. But the way that they were left indicates whoever knew them or did this do them. Covering their face, covering the mirrors. That's a big thing, too. Mm -hmm. Mm, There's so much psychology. I know. And in 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 one one of the podcasts that I listened to, my favorite murder, said that there was a an old timey telephone. Of course, it was an old timey telephone. It was old timey, but there was because a, it was a normal telephone <laughs> for the day. It was a, t- a telephone on the wall, <laughs> and you know those old timey telephones? They have like the two big yep. um, bells on the top, and yep. then like mm-hmm. the thing on the side that looks like a like a dog ear or something. Yeah, and you have to and like, then wind it, so it kind of looks like a face, and that yep. was covered too. <gasps> really? Yeah. So they thought like the killer was covering anything that looked like a face, even that if it was, was watching him. Yep. Wow. Yep. Psychologists might must have a field day in this case. I know. I have a background in psychology, so it's all fucking fascinating to me. I but, don't, but it's still fascinating. It's fascinating. So there was a bunch of people who were suspects. Most of them were like one of them was just a hobo who had come through town and mm-hmm. they they didn't there really was no reason for him 
except that he people. was a hobo and of course they're all bad right and and then there was the brother-in-law of josiah there was another guy who uh, was an ex-murderer he killed uh, he killed a bunch of other people it was a serial killer ex-murderer and and it wasn't henry lee moore it wasn't his name was paul mueller oh oh and he actually there's a book called the man from the train written about him and they it's written by a a man and his daughter and they believe that he's the murderer and they tie the whole thing together apparently i only read an article about the book i haven't read the book yeah so given what amy said i do not agree with that yeah so george kelly he was mentally ill really was a he was a peeping tom he became obsessed with this case and he talked about it a lot he sent letters to the police and to the Moore's remaining family about it. And then interjecting in, yourself into the case. Exactly. And then in 1914, he was sent to a mental hospital after getting caught sending obscene photos and letters to a woman who was trying to apply to be his secretary. He put an ad in the paper that he wanted a secretary and this person replied mm-hmm. and he was like, sure, send me some nudes. So. Yeah. So he ended up going to a mental hospital. Sounds like he's not a mental person. Sounds like he's just a fucking creep. He's a fucking creeper, for sure. So apparently he wouldn't stop talking about the axe murders. And in 1917, he was questioned again, questioned mm-hmm. again. And this is when he was charged. Oh, they didn't. Okay. So it wasn't right away. I mean, away. they don't. I'm, I granted yeah. they don't have a lot of time. Right, but. right, right, right. So. He did sign a confession. Yep. They they talk about that. Yep. But one of the movies I watched, I watched a movie on YouTube today that was a, a documentary sort of mm-hmm. about it. And it was kind of shitty quality, but it had a lot of good information. And she's the woman who was doing the documentary. She spoke to a historian mm-hmm. at the, I can't remember where he was. And he might've been at the museum, but he said that. George Kelly enjoyed being in the mental institution because he he felt safe. He was taken care of. Mm-hmm. And when they let him go, he didn't really know what to do with himself. Mm-hmm. And so he said he would have confessed to anything to, to go stay. to go back. Yeah. Yep. You know what? Maybe I wonder if he was maybe on the spectrum. Having that order, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could have been. Like that that order that uh-huh. routine uh-huh yeah i don't know okay. i literally know nothing it's just shooting yeah shit in the dark that's right, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> all right so as you said the jury did not buy the confession and his first trial ended in a hung jury there was a second he was acquitted oh can i interject a couple yeah. of things yeah yeah here? so we talked to crime historian roy marshall and he talked a little bit about the first trial. He um, might have been the guy in the in the movie that I watched today. He might have been oh, the same guy. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. So he so Steve asked him, like, what evidence did the prosecution have? They had a lot. So they had the the confession, which, you know, take it or leave it. We all know how, you know, confessions aren't always a hundred percent. Right. He also said he heard the voice of God tell him to slay this family. But the biggest and and to me, the most 
the most damning piece of evidence was a bloody shirt. And they said a couple of days after the murders, he had taken a bloody shirt to get clean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so that, that was a pretty strong piece of evidence. But the reason he was acquitted, essentially, according to the show, is he's a minister. They're in the Bible belt. And yep. ministers, they don't go around killing kids with an axe. No. And the second trial, they said, was basically a rerun of the first, but half-heartedly. The prosecution didn't even use the confession in the second trial. So he was going to get acquitted no matter what. Because mm-hmm. the first one ended in a hung jury. Mm-hmm. So that's all yeah. I've got on that. Okay. So should I talk about the other two suspects that I think are important? Okay. So yeah, next- definitely. Okay. So the next one was in the show. He was called F.F. Jones. Yes. So this is Frank F. Jones. And he worked for Josiah. Josiah Josiah worked for him. Oh, Josiah worked for him. So he was an Iowa state senator and he ran a hardware or farm hardware slash farm implement store. Josiah worked for him for a time. Mm -hmm. They had a disagreement. Josiah quit, left and started his own store. Right across the street. And that is such a fuck you. <laughs> I know. I know. Right. I mean, it's a small town, so they're probably yeah. on a lot of streets, but still. Could have died up the road a yeah. little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and Josiah took with him their biggest customer, which was John Deere. The John Deere? The John Deere, which I don't think is a person, but, you know, it's the tractor know, people. Yeah. The, the green tractor company. Right, right, right. So Jones was very angry with him for doing this. Mm-hmm. And it was also rumored that Josiah had an affair with Frank's daughter-in-law. But well, they did talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's unconfirmed. So who knows if it's true. Right. Right. So it is believed that Frank and his brother, Arthur, mm-hmm. hired William Mansfield. Okay. To, to do the who was, Yes. Who was, who was mentioned in the show. So William Mansfield. He was eventually cleared because payroll records showed that he was in Illinois at the time of the crime. Mm -hmm. However, it's believed that because Frank Jones was so powerful that those payroll records might have been fudged. Right. And especially because someone else came forward and Uh they saw Mansfield at the train station that morning, the morning Mm -hmm. of the bodies were discovered. That's really interesting because Amy, when during her walk, and I think of the reveal even she said that it was a mistake and not everybody was supposed to die. Mm-hmm. So that kind of lends credence to that theory a little bit. And then two years later, as you mentioned before, mm-hmm. Mansfield's own family was killed, mm-hmm. ex-murdered, and they do believe he did it. Very, I thought that oh, was Henry. I think that he also killed he killed another family, but I don't think it was his family. Oh, oh Mansfield okay. killed his wife, child, mother, and father-in-law. Wow, damn. And he killed them with an axe. And the evidence was very similar. Like all the windows, the windows and the doors covered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Psychologists listening to this, please let, let us know your thoughts. Well, I think that I did hear or read or what watch whatever <laughs> I, I can't keep track of what all i did but that it was a thing 
back in the day to cover mirrors when somebody died. Yeah. It was had something to do with letting their spirit go. Letting their soul. Yeah, because they didn't want their spirit to like see something and stick around or something like yeah. that. So yeah. we're historians here. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why we say things like something like that. Something like that, or just, you know, whatever. Or, I don't know. Whatever. Okay. So the town of Lisco is basically divided between these two theories. One was that the murderer was Reverend George Kelly mm-hmm. because he's a madman, he's a loose cannon, whatever. The other was that it was Frank Jones who had a history with Josiah, was upset with him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as things do, this became political because of who the players were. Yeah. Well, if you're a senator, it's going to get political. Right. Because he was up for re-election. Right. Ooh, never good. Yep. Yep. So you don't want to kill people in the years that you're having a re-election. You got to do those on the off year. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. kidding please don't kill anybody please ever. don't please don't kill anybody so it was like it it divided the entire town wow and like people were leaving their church going to a different church if there's people that they that they didn't agree with went to that church they go to a different church it actually sounds a lot like what we're going through right now with mm-hmm. Uh, you know the political mm-hmm. arena kind of dividing everybody yeah it was a lot like that but this is a small town so it's even harder because families are breaking up and mm-hmm. all because they can't agree on who, who killed, killed this family mm-hmm. so actually the part i'm at right now i already mentioned amy so i'll give my theory later okay you go ahead okay so now we're at amy's walk And so she arrives and she said when she opened herself up, she met a woman. She said she's very disfigured and she's pissed about everything. She kind of goes back and forth between feeling responsible for it happening because she either let somebody else, let someone in or she let somebody stay. But then Amy also hears from her that it's her husband's fault. And then Amy just doesn't feel right. And she kind of whispers it. She's She does a lot of creepy shit in she this does. episode. <laughs> she does all the time. Yeah, but this one, like, it was <laughs> ramped up. So she starts her walk and she hears somebody say there wasn't anywhere to run. Looks like she's in a parlor with the piano. So I think that's the room she's in. She said she feels pain in her side and she can't breathe. She felt a lot of pain in this house. Like a lot of, yeah. Oh God, bless her heart. So she's in the guest bedroom where Ina and Lena were killed. And she said she sees two girls in here, eight or nine. And she said, one of them likes to scare people. Amy said, sometimes I like to go rawr like that, like really childlike. And she said living people would hear her. And she said she had a lot of pain in her left back, kind of by her kidneys. So then we go over to John's house. And she said a lot of the dead people from the Axe Murder House are coming here because they feel happy. They're able to be together. They just feel safe. Hmm. She said um, in a bedroom, she sees the older woman from outside is trying to talk to somebody in there. And she's going crazy. She said she gets filled with rage and her anger is directed at one man. And the woman, she said, is is really creepy. She does really creepy shit. She said someone has probably seen an apparition of her many times. 
And she says she doesn't look normal when they see her. She looks messed up. And then Amy kind of hangs her head. To the yeah, I remember what she really. She's like, kind of like, huh? I know. She's so, so creepy. <laughs> she said Amy's pretty sure that this woman is haunting this family. And she tells Amy they deserve to suffer. And she said this is what they get. And so she said, Amy said that this woman is furious with the living here. And she wants them to experience the same pain that she feels all the time. So they're very, nobody in this family is at rest and they have not been at rest since they were killed. It's just so sad. So now we're back into the Axe murder house. She said, there's a male in the bedroom. She said he's inviting her in, but kind of in a mean way, like, come on in, like, just not, not good. She said it, it makes her sick. This whole house makes her sick. She said there's a lot of movement, a lot of commotion a lot of fear, a lot of panic, a lot of pain in this house. And then Amy whispers, there's a lot of people in this house. So when she said all of the people are trapped. So then we go outside. Amy sees a man um, standing in the bushes watching her. She said he's angry and he's jealous. And she heard somebody say that he was very religious in life. Who do we know in this case that was religious? We know somebody who was religious involved in this um, case. She said she sees somebody being dragged across the floor. Can I? Oh, I just want to give her a hug for the stuff that she's seen. I, know. I, I can't. She said she heard a male voice saying it's going to be okay. The person, the kid who was being dragged across the floor was a girl and they knew who did it and they knew them very well. And she said they're struggling. She said physical stuff is happening. And like the whole people struggled during this whole thing. <laughs> and then she heard somebody say to make sure that they're dead. <laughs> so then we go upstairs to the guest bedroom and she sees a woman going, how can you let them do this? Aren't they your friends? She hears this woman saying that she's hysterically crying and, and cowering in the corner. So the Amy thinks there was a deal that went wrong. She said there were four men involved. She heard a conspiracy shit like it was a cover-up. She said the men had marks and scratches because these people had fought. I mean, they had fought for their lives. She said she heard men talking to each other to make sure that it's done. And she said not everybody was supposed to die. So... One of the men, and this is the one that she sketches, who turns out to be George. She said he was really cruel and he really was into torturing them and he mm -hmm. liked to torture them. She said he was a little guy. He said, she said he was thin and pale. She said his face was weird and she said he was a crazy dude. Mm -hmm. So then we go to the sketch. So that's the end of Amy's walk, but it was rough. Like, she saw a lot. Yeah. I mean, she was basically seeing the, the murders happening. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So now we're into the reveal, and John and Christy are there. Christy was the other tour guide, and Amy starts out by saying that this walk was overwhelming, which, yeah, I, oh, I know put I put it mildly all the time, but she is, she goes through so much to give these people peace. I like, know. To give these spirits peace and to get their message across. It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. She said, everybody is still there. Everybody who was murdered. 
is still in that house. Interesting. Yeah. She said she feel she felt a lot of pain when she showed up. She said she had a hard time breathing and she had severe back pain. And then John went ahead and talked about his back pain and his nausea. And that's when Christy chimed in and said she has trouble breathing. She said it feels like someone is standing on your chest. So then Amy talks about the woman she met who's angry and spiteful and just pissed. So she goes back and forth about blame from feeling responsible to blaming her husband. She said it, she's one of the murder victims. And Steve said, well, the only one who's a woman was Sarah Moore. All the rest were kids or Joe. And so Steve shows her a photo and asks if, and asks if that who she's seen. And she said, oh, yes. So that's when she, Steve again says that Sarah Moore was the only one who was hit with the sharp end of the axe and everyone else was hit with the back end. And Amy says, oh, interesting, which that is interesting, Amy. <laughs> she said in the downstairs bedroom has the two girls, so Ina and Lena. And she said one of them enjoys interacting with the living. She said she likes to try to get attention. She tries talking to people and likes to growl. And so John then talks about how he hears the growl, gasp, moan combination. And Steve shows her a picture of the two girls and she thinks it's Lena interacting with them, trying to get everyone's attention. She also said she heard a man say it's going to be okay. And then she heard another person say there's no place to run. So here's where she talks about she saw Ina being dragged across the floor by her leg. And she said she had a confused look on her face because she knew the man. So, oh my God, can you, to be that little girl and know this person and not like not understanding why this person is doing this to you. Somebody that you know. It's, yeah. it, it breaks my heart because she doesn't, doesn't have the mental capacity to understand right. that there's evil in this world and right. she's experiencing it. And it just yeah. makes me want to cry. Yeah. Because that's the last minutes of her life. Yeah. We're filled with betrayal. Yeah. And and the evidence backs that up too, saying that she was she was definitely awake when she was attacked. They think other people were asleep, but she was awake and that she fought. Good for her. Yep. Good for her. I'm gonna cry. Okay, we're <laughs> moving on. Again, Amy said that she heard a male say, make sure they're all dead. This is. Oh, take a minute. Sorry. Sorry. It's okay. Take a minute. To be trapped like this. Like this, this woman upstairs, she saw Sarah holding a small child and screaming, how can you let them do this? Mm -hmm. To be trapped in that moment. For your whole eternity, just living it over and over yeah. again. That's, yeah. I mean, it's bad enough for it to happen the time it happened and then to have to. You just to not have peace. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. It's okay. It's just awful. It is. So Sarah was saying, aren't they your friends? How can you let them do this? And that's when Amy said, a man said that not everybody was supposed to die. She said there was four men involved and Steve goes into the four suspects. And then she said, Amy says she met one of them in the barn that he was short and thin and pale. And um, then she goes, I happen to have a sketch done of him. 
and it is 100% George. Yep. It's a, it's, there's no doubt that it's George Kelly. Yeah. So one thing that Kirsty pointed out that I thought was interesting is that, you know, Amy said she thinks it's Kelly, but he wasn't the only one. He was just one of them. And then Christy said, that's what I think. She said, because how can one person control eight people? Yep. You know, I can understand both sides of it because on the one hand, yes, there's eight people. And if there's one person, but on the other hand, only two of them are adults. Six of them are kids, young kids. So the adults would do anything to save those kids. Mm -hmm. So I can see both sides of it. Yeah. So then we go over to John's house and she said most of the dead go there and they hang out because it's nice. It's they feel safe. They feel calm. She said she walked upstairs. You know, it's nice downstairs, but then you walk upstairs and she said the second you hit the floor, there's complete anger from Sarah. Just rage. She said, if I were you, I'd be very careful in this house. It's pretty intense. Mm -hmm. So John says downstairs is very peaceful and welcoming, but upstairs, she said it's very active. And Amy said she directs her anger towards a male. And John said, you know, he felt like he was called to this house to figure out who did it. And he, you know, he thinks it's fate that he's here, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, at the end of the day, we get that. Can they live here? And so... Amy says, the spirits from the day this happens, they've never had any peace. From 1912, they've never had peace. For a century, they've been living this over and over again. And they said, not only are they reliving what happened to them constantly, but now they're seeing people coming in and it's basically made to be a sideshow. This brutal crime. It's just people are, it's turned to like a farce almost. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, John does say like, this is horrible. We don't want to disrespect them. You know, we want to make sure we honor them. So I will give him points for that. And John does agree like, you know what? I'm just going to focus on the history of the tours and not the paranormal. And so at the end, it does say John has stopped giving paranormal information and just the history of the house. And and Amy is doing her voiceover and she said, the dead want their story told, mm-hmm. but they want it told in a respectful manner. Yeah. And so the activity at his house has completely stopped. Oh. So Good. it's just, it's so heartbreaking to me that I can't imagine losing all of your children and then reliving it over and over and mm-hmm. over again. It's just, and to not have had any justice, to not... Yeah, still a cold case. Yes. We're 110 years later. Mm-hmm. And at this point, there's probably, there's no solving it because what are you going to do? How yeah. can you solve it? You can yeah. have theories, but... Yeah, it's it's not going to, it's not going to be solved any more than JonBenet will be solved. Yeah. Anyways, sorry about that. Your turn. Yeah. It's okay. Hi, friends. Amy here. Wow, this episode was a doozy. We did end up talking for almost another hour 
about the things that I discovered in my week's research, but we decided to split it into two episodes. Firstly, this week, and spending a lot of time on this horrific case, we wanted to take a little mental health break. We will still record this week. It will just be gabbing a little bit and then doing an intro for the second half of the story, which I will release next week. Also, we wanted to give you a break from listening to us for almost two hours straight. So if you choose, you can wait and listen to the episodes back to back next week. Also, I did edit this one into video. So if you want to watch the whole thing straight through, you can watch the video version, although it will not contain the stuff that we will be recording this coming weekend, unless I decide to attach it at the end once we've recorded and edited it. Check our socials and our website for that video, which I will release soon. So thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves and we'll see you next week. The Activity Continues podcast is produced by me, Amy, at Collected Sounds Media and is a part of the independent Collected Sounds podcast network. Nailed it.